Hi, I'm Carmen LaBurge. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBurge. Good morning. Today is the day. This is the day the Lord has made. We're rejoicing. We are glad in it. I am Carmen LeBurge. It is Monday, September the 23rd. I missed you. Uh, My trip to Houston was a total washout, like literally and figuratively. So um, I missed being on with you. I'm thankful to uh, Peter Kapsner for covering for me in my absence. Uh, I trust that you found your time with him edifying. I'm glad to be back. Uh, Thank you for praying for my voice this morning don't really know what kind of frogginess I have returned with, but there you have it. Okay, so my big question this morning to each and every one of us is this. Where in the word are you today? Before we launch into the headline news, before we, wow, get down into uh, the miry muck of uh, whatever current catastrophes and shenanigans the world is up to, let us first answer this question. Where in the word am I today? Am I abiding in Christ? Am I uh, connected to the vine and living in him in such a way that my life is going to produce, it is going to produce fruit of righteousness uh, to the glory of the Lord? And if I'm not in the word, if I'm not abiding in Christ, if I'm not saturating my life with the word of God, uh, if I'm not open submissively to the power of the Holy Spirit at work within me, that's the first work of the day. That must be the first work of the Christian today uh, before we set ourselves to any other work that, that, that lies before us. And so where in the word are you today? Uh, I am in Psalm 100. Uh, because it's brief, I'm going to read it in its entirety, and I'm going to encourage you uh, to live it out. Shout joyfully to the Lord, all the earth. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come before him with joyful singing. Know that the Lord himself is God. It is he who has made us and not ourselves. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him. Bless his name. For the Lord is good. His loving kindness is everlasting, his faithfulness to all generations. Friends, this is Psalm 100. It is uh, is a call to worship. It is a call to to live in the context of worship. Uh, It is a call to shout and serve and come and know. Why? Because it's God who has made us and has made us his own, his own people, the sheep of his pasture. Therefore, we enter his gates with thanksgiving. We give thanks to him. We bless his name. Why? For the Lord is good. His loving, loving kindness, his steadfast love is everlasting, his faithfulness to all generations. This is who we are. This is whose we are. This is what in the world we're in the world to do today. His steadfast love endures forever. His faithfulness to all generations. We're going to shout joyfully to the Lord in all the earth, and we're going to serve him with gladness, even as we come before him this morning, knowing that the Lord himself is God. 
It's, it's, in, it's in that context. It's with that knowledge. It's understanding who we are and whose we are and what in the world we're in the world to do that we enter into the conversations of the day. So next up, Brandon Showalter, he and I are going to walk around in some of today's headlines, bringing the mind of Christ to bear. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. We'll be right back. Indeed, there's one who is worthy. His name is Jesus. Brandon Showalter and I are disciples of the one and only King. Uh, Brandon is with us uh, from time to time here on Mornings with Carmen. He is at the Christian Post, and you can certainly find him online at ChristianPost.com. You can also find him on Twitter at Brandon M. Show. Hey, Brandon, welcome back. Good morning, Carmen. Good morning. Let's start off talking about the Methodists. Now, uh, we're talking about the second largest Protestant denomination here in the United States. We're also talking about um, a, an expression of the church that is global. So why are we talking about the United Methodists this morning? Well, it looks as though this uh, large uh, expression of the church is uh, yet another <laughs> denomination that is facing a potential divide uh, and again, it's over the contentious issue of LGBTQ sexuality. This is a global phenomenon that is really rankling many Christian denominations, uh, particularly in the West. But um, it looks like next year is called the Indianapolis Plan, where the Methodist Church, the United Methodist Church, will very likely be split into two denominations with different understandings as it relates to uh, ordination of LGBTQ identified persons and, you know, same-sex unions. What really is at stake here is how we define, you know, theological anthropology. What does it mean to human, be a human being? What does the human person, what is a human person? Um, and so uh, it is, uh, it's unfortunate to see this divide, um, and I have so many thoughts as to how we got here, but that's that's what's coming up. Um, it really is quite something to behold it all unfolding. And so this Indianapolis plan, this this plan of what I would describe as 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 gracious as possible. That is what it seems to me the United Methodists are seeking to achieve here is a division that's as gracious as possible, which would be very different than the way that um, the UCC or the PCUSA or the ELCA went about um, you know their their divisions over the over the same issue. Um, certainly, the Episcopalians uh, did not divide peaceably. Um, there's still no. a, there's still a great deal of uh, of rancor there. So uh, it does seem to me as if the United Methodists are trying to do this in a way that is decent, orderly, and and will not. Um, I mean, I think their hope is their intention is that uh, this would be a better witness to divide in this way, in terms of the public witness of the church, versus the way they have seen their sister denominations across the country uh, divide themselves up. It may be more peaceful and more gracious, but it's uh, still, I think, a painful thing. I mean, uh, mm. I do agree that, you know, I think people have been watching some of the other denominations split over this issue, and they want to 
make it as amicable as possible, but let's not kid ourselves. The, the rage and the pain over issues of human sexuality is always a palpable thing. And so I don't know how this is going to transpire, but this, um, this is where the primal screams and the rage is in churches and in society. And so it's, um, we're really facing, um, I think this is not just within the church, but this is just a crisis of our humanity where we literally don't know how to be human anymore because uh, we are split up, we're splitting ourselves up into all these different categories. Um, and I just, I hope and pray, my, my perspective is I hope and pray that God really comes in great power and um, just ministers to his hurting church because uh, what is what is at stake is ultimately the gospel because this is not just an issue to just disagree, agree to disagree on. We're, this is a lot of things at stake here. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, that's actually very, very well said, Brandon. Um, thank you. Thank you for that. All right. Tell us about, you know, in the spirit of let us be praying for and, and actively applying our lives to the hope of a new reformation or, or revival. Tell us about this 2020 year of the Bible. Well, this is an exciting development. Um, there's, you know, missionaries from about 30, 34 countries. Uh, this is convened on the Museum of the Bible last week, and it's to launch the 2020 Global Year of the Bible, which is this kind of first-of-its-kind evangelical initiative. Uh, it's even been endorsed by Pope Francis, and it's a collaboration of like-minded organizations with uh, the goal of affirming the value of Scripture for all people, and it calls for uh, an end to what we call Bible poverty in a time when there are still uh, 1,600 languages uh, lacking for translations of the Old and New Testaments. And so it's sort of this global restoration of the Bible. And so the momentum is to you know get more copies of the Bible into the hands of people who don't have them and just raise awareness for the value of Bible. I think it's it's wonderful. And of course, I just love seeing the Museum of the Bible here in Washington, D.C., where I am. That building makes such a statement in this town. So uh, it's just great. All right. I'm talking with Brandon Showalter from the Christian Post. You can check out that particular story. Uh, the 2020 year of the Bible hopes to lead this new reformation. You can check that out at ChristianPost.com. There's actually a ton of uh, new articles posted this morning um, at ChristianPost.com. So definitely check it out. Brandon and I are going to continue our conversation in just a minute. He's going to share a story about Jesus appearing to um, a Middle Eastern Muslim uh, person every night, reciting the entire Gospel of John. This is a story we've got to hear. That's up next on Mornings with Carmen. Continuing my conversation with Brandon Showalter from the Christian Post, you can check out what we're talking about at ChristianPost.com. Brandon, um, God is on the move. You and I know it. God is on the move in many mighty ways. God is moving in the Middle East in some pretty dramatic ways, and um, you guys have a story posted at ChristianPost.com about a man in the Middle East to whom, um, you know, every night, He's been receiving this visitation and um, and received the entire Gospel of John. T- tell us about this story. This is an amazing story. Uh, this was part of an event from the Gospel Coalition called Something Needs to Change. It was held last week, 
and where you know David Platt, who's you know prominent pastor here in town, McLean Bible Church, interviewed um, you know a missionary who's identified only as Yazim, and he works at the, in the Middle East, and so they had a simulcast, and this man had a disguised voice, where he recounted this story about how um, he, the Lord Jesus Himself has been showing up in dreams and visions, and. Uh, you know, I've heard of these stories coming out of the Muslim world where, you know, God shows up in this way to Muslims. And if anybody knows anything about, you know, Islamic theology, you know, it's dreams and visions are very, are very prominent. That's a, that's a way in which I believe Jesus is meeting people, particularly those, you know, Muslims who are, are hungry to know the truth and they're desperate. And so God speaks, shows up to them in a very personal way. And given how closed most of the Muslim world is um, to missionary activity. God, just in his mercy, reaches them this way. And uh, in this particular case, our story that we have here is that Jesus has been showing up and, you know, he often shows up in, you know, wearing all white and he knocked at the door and his Yazim, this man that David Platt interviewed, uh, said that he couldn't even look at him because his face was so bright and, uh, he he came inside and he would ask this man in his in this vision to write down what he said and you know what he ended up writing down was uh, a big portion of John chapter one in the beginning was the word and the word was God the word was with God and the word was God uh, and it's uh, you know it's just one of those it's one of those stories you just have to shake your head and just marvel at the incredible ways in which God will reach a person and we have to do our part but. We serve a supernatural God who's still living and working and active in ways that I just I just wonder what he's doing behind the scenes that we just don't know. And just we get a peek into this with this story. It really is extraordinary. It reminds me you know, of the truth that if we fail to uh, bear witness in the ways that that God has called us to bear witness, God's not going to leave himself without a witness. He's going to have the very That's stones right. cry out. I mean, it's just That's right. Um, it's really, it really is extraordinary. I, um, I remember being with a, a pastor from the Middle East. This is, wow, maybe 20 years ago now. It dates me. Um, he was serving, in, uh, serving as an evangelical in, in Egypt, Egyptian, um, and right. he was bearing the same testimony and witness. And he talked about this one family uh, that lived in, in, in a very urban part of the city. They're the one Christian family in the midst of, uh, of hundreds of thousands of Muslim neighbors. Um, and the power went out. The power went out citywide. And the lights in their apartment did not go out. Amazing. And there was no, there's no, no explanation. explanation. No right. explanation. But the light being on in their apartment started to draw others. It obviously drew attention, you know, from people in their community immediately to them. They want to know, why are your lights on? And they would say, well, we don't know why our lights are on. But let us tell you about the light that we know that pierces the darkness and the darkness will not overcome it. His name is Jesus. Amen. I mean, I just, Amen. you know, because you can talk about in the context of a Muslim culture, you can talk about Jesus in your own home. If other people come to see you, you just can't go outside your home and talk about him to other people in the streets. And so God is going to have his witness. And I just think we need we need to we need to remember just how great is our God. I think there are times, Brandon, we we look at what's happening around us. We look at, uh, you know, at signs in our culture of, you know, what we might consider fruits of unrighteousness. And we forget that God is God is on the move. God is on the move and he will. 
he will have his way. <laughs> but let's not forget, and he's capable of doing things that are so beyond our understanding that, you know, how dare we limit him from working in ways we think he should. He gets to decide what he wants to do, and he'll, I mean, shoot, he'll, t- he'll talk through a donkey if he wants to. I mean, That's exactly right. He's a... He's a scripture's a He's weird a very book, odd God, isn't he? Yeah. But he can do whatever he wants. <laughs> That's exactly right. All right, let's talk about some uh, a couple of, of good news stories in um in our own culture. You've got a you guys have a, a story posted at christianpost.com. Just just some give us some little good news on the on the culture front here in the United States. Well, the good news items that you mentioned here in this piece is that there are several things. One, uh, the number, the total number of abortions in our country is continuing to drop. Uh, New York City has scrapped an, a, a ban on what they like to derisively call conversion therapy for persons who have unwanted same-sex attraction. And around the country, you know, what these sort of drag queen story hours in local libraries are being canceled due to, you know, the work of local activists. And so these are the kinds of issues that we sometimes, we often report on here at the Christian Post, and it does appear that though it just seems like these kinds of things are happening everywhere all the time, and the news is often bad, on the whole, uh, there has been some progress. I mean, so it, just to take that first one, number of abortions according to you know the Guttmacher Institute, which is a pro-abortion you know, research group uh, in the year of 2017, the total number uh, was approximately 862,000 abortions in the U.S. That's the lowest it's been. Um, and, and so I just, I, I rejoice about that. It certainly seems as though, uh, though our, our country's kind of coming to a real head about that issue. On the whole, the numbers are down. And the ban on conversion therapy, it was actually as a result of the composition of the courts and in the ruling of the the, the NIFLA decision, which was a, a, a ruling that, you know, forbade, you know, pregnancy centers for, you know, pro, pro-life pregnancy centers from being forced to give information about, you know, you know abortion-related resources. In the ruling, uh, Justice Thomas, who wrote the decision, tied in two other cases about the kinds of freedom that professionals have in their speech. And that was related to, you know, persons who want to seek a counselor or sacramental confession for people. They have some kind of sexual issue they are uncomfortable with. They get to talk about that, and the counselor's free to do that. Well, in light of that Supreme Court decision, um, you know, this New York City, you know, ban, they realized that this is not going to pass muster, constitutionally speaking. And so that's been scrapped. And uh, the the drag queen story hours in a couple of cases they are you know libraries are canceling them they've got, we've got a you know, story here of a pastor in you know South Bay Pentecostal Church in Chula Vista and they're resisting and uh, you know people they are getting these things canceled where children are being or I think they're groomed and being sent messages by these men in garish costumes about what a woman are what women are and uh, I mean I I find this, that whole phenomenon very troubling in so many ways, but you know people aren't just sitting back and taking it. And library systems, it takes some work, but library systems are responding. And so, you know, I think as Christians we tend to, you know, there's there's this tendency to not, you know, always want to be involved in some of these touchy issues because we want to be liked. But you know, we have to get past that, I think, and 
be willing to take a stand for what's good and right, even if it does mean that we are disliked. And so uh, we can make progress when when you speak up and you raise objections. And it, it matters because it's it's ultimately about the furtherance of the gospel and what Jesus wants to do in our culture. Yeah, that's exactly right. All right, Brandon, thank you so much, as always, um, for joining us for a conversation. That's Brandon Showalter. You can find him on Twitter at Brandon M. Show. You can also find him online at ChristianPost.com. Thank you, my friend. Thank you, Carmen. So good to be with you always. It's great to have you. All right, we got to take a quick break for Making Your Life Count, and then we'll be back. So you have heard a a lot of the headlines related to uh, the president of the United States, President Trump, um, and the suppression of a report by a whistleblower uh, of the Trump administration. Um, Over the weekend, Senator Lindsey Graham called on the Justice Department to investigate, quote, all things Ukraine amid controversy about this secretive whistleblower complaint, likely regarding a phone call between President Trump and Ukraine's, Ukraine's president. President Trump also acknowledged on Sunday that he, in fact, did discuss former Vice President Joe Biden's uh, issues, actually probably Joe Biden, his son's issues, with UK, with, with Ukraine's president. Um, in the midst of all of this, Democrats are obviously ramping up calls for an investigation into whether or not the president improperly pressured a foreign leader to investigate a political opponent. I'm going to unpack all of that with Adam Carrington because um, I'll just admit to you, <clears throat> it's a lot to digest. So we're going to talk about that up next. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. We'll be right back. There's an old saying, the best time to plant a tree is 20 years ago. The next best time is today. Hi, I'm Callie Breeze with Thrivent, helping you be wise and thrive. Let's just take a minute to unpack that idea. A 20-year-old tree growing in a park or your backyard is a thing of beauty and practicality. You can sit in its shade, eat its fruit, and hang a tire swing from its branches. But somebody, thinking ahead, had to plant that tree. What's more, somebody, 20 years from now, would appreciate a tree you planted today. It's the same with money. If, 20 years ago, you started saving $100 a month, you'd have a pretty nice nest egg. But if you didn't, it's still a good idea to start saving today. Are you prepared for the future? If not, don't put it off any longer. Take a first step today. Plant a seed. It will help lead to a fruitful tomorrow. I'm Callie Breeze with Thrivent, helping you be wise and thrive. Joined now by Adam Carrington from Hillsdale College. Adam, welcome back. Glad to be here. Thanks for having me. Okay, so I am tempted to just tee this up in such a way that you can explain it to me because there are so many pieces and parts and threads that um, I don't even quite know how to frame a question that would be good. So what if I just say Trump, Ukraine, whistleblower, Biden, go? I would I would give you a bingo at that point. It sounds like you're <laughs> calling out bing, bingo pieces. Uh, yes, uh, uh, probably the simplest way to put it is there, uh, and at its core, is there's a debate over 
uh, conversations that the president had with Ukraine uh, over the last few months. And the reason we know about it is there was a whistleblower report filed. Basically, a communic- someone in the intelligence community thought maybe a-, a crime had been committed in these communications. But the core question is, it seems that the president pressured Ukraine to investigate certain dealings with companies that involved the son of presidential candidate and former vice president Joe Biden. And I think the fundamental question to keep in mind with this pressuring, and we don't know everything yet. There's a lot we don't know. Most things have been leaked or just semi or or mentioned uh, uh, on background. But um, why did he want the uh, uh, pressure Ukraine to investigate? Was he just concerned with corruption and wanted to undo it, uh, wanted uh, help with other governments to stop it? Or uh, the more sinister thing, and this is what people are debating, is was the president of the United States uh, pressuring another country to help him basically dig up dirt on another candidate that might run against him and the one that is uh, maybe not coincidentally polling the best against him? And then the other question is, what did he use to pressure Ukraine? Because uh, another background of this is that Ukraine was uh, is desperately uh, needs support from the United States to fend off aggressions from its neighbor, Russia. And uh, uh, the United States was holding back hundreds of millions of dollars in funding from Ukraine that all of a sudden got sent to them uh, not long after this conversation was supposed to have occurred. So uh, I, I think the main question here is, are we dealing with a president that is just trying to root out corruption, or is this something where he's trying to use taxpayer dollars to basically go after political enemies that the people might be voting for against him in, in the next election? I th- Hopefully that's at least something of a clear explanation of what's going on. It, it actually, that's very clear and, and very helpful. I think that when... Um, When I think about the president of the United States and the conversations that he has with heads of states around the world, um, you know, a couple of things occur to me. Somewhere in there is – I probably don't have a right to know everything he discusses with every head of state around the world. Um, But I do have an expectation that when he is talking with heads of state around the world, he's not not extorting them um, in terms of U.S. aid – um, or U.S. Uh, commitments that we have made as a nation to the welfare of others, that he's not using those as like poker chips. And I think that is the concern that uh, many people have. I recognize that we also have a concern about, you know, the next presidential election cycle. Um, but these questions and concerns about Joe Biden's son and uh, questionable dealings with Ukraine, these were raised in the last presidential election when Biden was then uh, you know, opposing Hillary Clinton for the for his party's nomination. So these allegations related to Hunter Baker are actually not or Hunter Baker. Hunter, <laughs> we love Hunter Baker. Hunter Biden. Um, these issues related to that are not new, um, but they're being resurfaced. And so, you, what are your expectations when the president of the United States is talking uh, with heads of states around the world? Because he's going to do so on the floor of the UN General Assembly here in the next twenty four hours as well. What are your expectations when he's talking privately or publicly with heads of state? Right. I th- and I think that's a great way to frame it. I think that obviously I think a lot of private communications between foreign heads of state should be kept private and secret. 
and uh, the Federalist Papers that defended the Constitution said that there is an element of secrecy to what the president should be able to do because uh, there might be some horse trading. There might be some deal making to try to uh, uh, get the best uh, agreement that a president can. And maybe not everything needs to be out in the open because we often see that out in the open sometimes results in people not being as forthcoming or honest or doing what they they want to do. That said, what what I would expect is that this horse trading is uh, uh, in the U.S. interest. It's trying to help the American people that the president is serving in his capacity as chief executive of uh, we, the people of the United States. Uh, the, the, the concerning thing here is whether he's not doing it for America, but for himself to get himself ahead, to help himself, and that he's using government resources and his own extraordinarily powerful position as president of the United States to further himself and not the American people. And that's where I think we have a right to be very concerned and a right to hear about it if that's what he's doing rather than serving in his role as a servant of the American, of, of the American people in the Constitution. All right, that's very well said. Let's, um, let's spend a minute uh, or two here talking about Um, The laws related to whistleblowers, when we have a whistleblower at the highest level, there is a process in place that is supposed to be pretty sacrosanct. That is not what has happened here. No, that there is a there is a law which says that. And and the reason it's called a whistleblower law is we all know that if you um, uh, rat out your boss, (laughs) uh, that you could face massive repercussions. And so there's a process trying to protect people that genuinely have a concern for the public good, letting it be known that there may have been improprieties. Um, According to the law, when a whistleblower, uh, uh, when this report is deemed credible and a a Trump appointee um, in the intelligence community has deemed this report credible enough to be investigated, um, the, the idea is that eventually it'll get turned over to Congress so that Congress can have some idea of what's going on. And uh, there's now a, a, a big debate within the intelligence community and w- among different Trump appointees as to as to what to do going forward with this. Uh, different interpretations of the law, different interpretations of the president's role in it. And so now we've got a, a, a bit of a food fight between them, Congress and the White House as to not just whether any impropriety was done, but who should be the one looking at this and determining within the separation of powers how to deal with this kind of issue if it indeed happened? All right. I just feel like if we're going to have a food fight, it should be something like, I don't know, marshmallows and it should take place in the yard because then, you know, right, no big mess. Okay. So uh, Adam Carrington and I are going to continue our conversation in just a minute. We're actually going to switch gears. We're going to talk about the president of the United States Um, in a speech that he is scheduled to give at the United Nations. Uh, Let me just remind you that the annual General Assembly of the United Nations does kick off today in New York. Uh, More than 90 heads of state will be gathering uh, here in New York City. I mean, here, here in the United States, New York City. I'm not in New York City. Thanks be to God. Uh, The Assembly's first big event is on on climate change. Uh, They're going to have a climate action summit Um, But there are lots of other things that are happening at the U.N. There's going to be a session on religious persecution, and that is where the president of the United States is going to speak. That is scheduled for tomorrow. There will also be a speech uh, scheduled uh, tomorrow for Brazilian President J.R. Bolsonaro. You and I have talked a lot about 
uh, Brazil, and we have talked a lot about its neighbor, Venezuela. I expect that issue to rise uh, rise up as well. Um, questions about whether or not the president of the United States might, in fact, meet probably uh, off the books with Iranian President uh, uh, Hassan Rouhani. Tensions rising there um, related to Saudi Arabia. So all kinds of things that might be taking place at the U.N. One thing we know is going to happen is that President Trump is going to give a speech about religious liberty and the preservation of the rights of people around the world who are religious minorities, including Christians. Adam Carrington and I are going to talk about that up next. We'll be right back. Continuing my conversation with Adam Carrington from Hillsdale College. Um, Adam, the president of the United States, is scheduled to give a speech related to religious persecution and the rights of religious minorities around the world. Um, let's just have, since we don't know what exactly he's going to say yet, um, let's just talk about the relationship between the state and religion in general and religious minorities and the preservation of their rights in particular. Right. And and I think, and yeah, you're right. We don't know what the president will say, but it, it is an important point that so much of the world and, and, and for Christians, even much more now than in the past few decades, uh, those who believe in 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 Christianity and in, in in the God of the Bible are being persecuted, and in extensive numbers, martyred in extensive numbers. And I think that we do have to ask if um, if, as Romans thirteen says, that uh, the state or the government is instituted for our good to punish evil, to reward what is good, that we should obey it for that reason, um, that there is a role for the state to play in preserving uh, the church, preserving religious belief, and doing so as part of its sort of common grace mandate to um, uh, protect human beings that are made in the image of God. So I think that's something we have to ask is, what will God require of governments um, uh, in the world, given that he has created those that they are ruling over and given that they are creations of God himself. So here's part of my, you know, my challenge when the president of the United States, this particular president of the United States, um, starts speaking on this issue. Um, I mean, it was just yesterday, he's literally holding hands with India's uh, President Modi um, and, 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 and walking around in Houston, you know, literally holding hands with one another, um, you know, talking about how wonderful this man is, is and how wonderful India is. India is actively forcing nonprofits to sign affidavits vowing not to engage in religious conversion. I mean, India is a great offender when it comes to the persecution of religious minorities. Same would be true with China. Um, we can't hold hands uh, right now uh, with the Chinese when they're I mean, they've they've interred nearly two million Muslim Uyghurs, and they're they're forcibly requiring churches to swap out the Ten Commandments for quotes by uh, by their president, President Xi Jinping. So help me understand how we give a speech that's compelling on the subject of uh, the defense of religious minorities around the world when we're holding hands with the leaders of some of the greatest offenders. Right. And I think the the, the answer to that has to be a question of uh, priorities. Uh, in other words, I, d I don't think that 
uh, President Trump is being utterly ungenuine when he says that uh, he as a policy goal wants to further uh, religious liberty, uh, especially in the United States. There's things that his administration has done to further that. But I think that then gets down to the question of priorities. He is going to demand of other countries, I, I imagine, that they reorder their priorities to protect religious liberty. The question we've got to ask is, how important is it going to be to us? What what are we willing to sacrifice in our relationships with other countries for the case, sake of the religious liberty of those in those countries, especially those who may share the similar faith to many in the United States? So that's where uh, I think the compel how compelling and serious we need to take this speech is going to be. How much are we willing to sacrifice for it? And as you pointed out, um, that seems to be a, 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 a bit of an open question, given the some of the commitments and relationships that the president and other presidents before him have forged in light of the their their actions toward other countries. So um, one of the things that we uh, we think we know about our new national security advisor, the one that the president has tapped, um, is that he is a member of the LDS. Uh, the Latter-day Saints. And that is, you know, a group of people that is actively persecuted in terms of um, uh, Russia. Let's just take, you know, a third, <laughs> a third front in terms of um, uh, conversations about religious liberty and religious freedom. Um, Mike Pompeo, uh, very openly evangelical Christian. Um, we have other members of the president's, you know, leadership team who are very forthright um, so certainly, uh, religious liberty ambassador Senator or, uh, Sam Brownback. Um, you know, I think that when we're talking about these kinds of things, it's important for us to be mindful of who the people are in positions of real leadership and influence. Um, how do we pray for these people and what's in front of them every day in such a dangerous world? And you know, facing such hostilities right here at home in terms of their leadership. I think that we 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 pray scripture. I think that's a way to do it. Pray um, in, in, in 1 Timothy where uh, it, we are called upon to pray for leaders, but to do so uh, uh, that we may live lives in all godliness and in all uh, honesty, and pray that for the church around the world. Uh, look at how um, places like Psalm 82 and Psalm 72 talk about what good the magistrate can do for a people and pray that we that our leaders would be given wisdom to act according to that. Pray that they would know what justice is, and and pray that they would be able to do so knowing difficult circumstances. That um, you know, one of the great wisdoms of Solomon uh, when you see Solomon. Uh, in that, that situation in First Kings 3 where he wants to divide the baby is he had to know how could he get the truth out of the two women who were making counterclaims to him. And his great wisdom was finding a way to bring the truth out. And I think that's something that we'll have to pray for and, and, and to pray for asking, you know, what is our role in the world? I think part of this debate is what can America do? What should America do? on something that we all agree is a good thing. And I think that that's where we need to be praying very hard, not just that our leaders would know what is right in a perfect world, but that they would know what is possible in the world we have right now. Yeah, and that's that that's that intersection of, you know, what's our role in the world as Christians, which is a different conversation than what is our role in the world as the United States of America. I think those are 
those are always challenging um, differentiations to make and yet important uh, and really important in our current conversation. Um, Adam Carrington, thank you, as always, for helping us think through some of the headlines of the day and apply the mind of Christ. You guys can find Adam at Hillsdale College. Remind us of your uh, your favorite social media follow. Uh, my Twitter handle is Carrington AM, which I know you chastised me for not being on enough. <laughs> All right. There you go. Uh, Adam, we'll talk to you again soon. Thank you so much. Thank you. <laughs> we'll be right back. Okay, so in the next hour, I am going to talk with Bruce Ashford, uh, the provost of Southern Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary. He and I are going to talk about uh, a story that really caught fire last week um, and continues to be a conversation this week. And this is actually about a seminary in New York called Union. Um, and I want to talk with Bruce about, you know, what is the purpose of a seminary today? And what are seminaries, what do we expect them to be doing and what is this seminary doing um, holding a chapel service where they were pl- praying confessionally to plants and then defending themselves as a seminary online for doing so? Uh, we're also going to talk with Bruce about why he is personally not a pacifist. Then I'm going to talk with um, with David Aikman. Um, if you are one of the 600,000 people stranded today because uh, the tour company Thomas Cook, British tour operator Thomas Cook, Uh, which employs 21,000 people and currently has 600,000 clients stranded around the world, Um, I would love to hear from you. So if you want to text me, if you're a stranded Thomas Cook passenger and you want to text me, our text line is open. That number is 877-933-2484. Again, 877-933-2484. I'd love to to hear from one of those 600,000 stranded Thomas Cook passengers. Or if you know somebody, Um, I find this story pretty fascinating. All right. So that's what's up in the next hour here on Mornings with Carmen. We'll be right back. Thanks for listening to this podcast of Mornings with Carmen LeBurge from Faith Radio. If you haven't, you can subscribe to automatically receive the podcast through iTunes or the Google Play Music app. That way you never miss an episode. It's also available anytime at MyFaithRadio.com.